Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. I hope you're doing okay in lockdown. Um, if you'd like to send us a question or a topic, uh, we will answer that uh, for either $10 a month or $30 a month. All the money goes to charity. Go to neilcolhacker.com slash podcasts. Uh, just two other quick announcements at the top of this podcast. I'm starting a new series on my YouTube channel called Ethical Hypothetical, where we discuss, as the name would suggest, hypothetical ethical dilemmas or quandaries with an array of guests. If you have a good webcam and a microphone and would like to be on that, then send me an email, neil.business at outlook.com uh, with the subject headline, of uh, ethical hypothetical guest and the other announcement as always me just being extremely shameless make sure you get that uh cbd oil from crush organics with a k use the code neil for 40 percent off all right jordan how are you uh i'll tell you one thing i'm good i actually am and you know what we're going into this later so keep your ears peeled but it is for the same reason that I think that you are despairing. And I'll let you sit on that, dear listener. As in uh, the listener is despairing or I'm despairing? You're despairing and I'm sure the listener is despairing as well. Ooh, that sounds very juicy. Uh, we're going to talk about, what are we <laughs> going to talk about eventually? Because we're going to start with a question, but what's the subject matter that you're keen on discussing? Because I want to talk about prepping for climate change and, mm. and not from a country's perspective, but for, from the individual. What can we do if we have a family and maybe we live in um, uh, an area of Australia that is projected to experience a lot more extreme weather conditions uh, what can we actually do about that? Uh, mm, but we'll mm. get into that eventually. What What is the subject matter you want to talk about today? Exactly the same thing, almost to a T, locust of control. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, well. Locust, not locust. Uh, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, go on. Lo the locust of control. <laughs> the locust of control. <laughs> <laughs> but that the does sound like monster. a great god. Yeah, or a Japanese the, the monster. To take take your pick. Yeah, the locust. <laughs> the locust of control. <laughs> has mind-melding powers. I like that as a... It's it's not scary. It's 60s kitsch, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to fund that film. That's brilliant. All right. Well, this is a question from, uh, well, initials J-O, Joe. Uh, hello, boys. Ever since I left high school at the end of last year, I felt lost with no direction. But recently, after watching Jordan's videos for a few years now and seeing the impact he's made and could make in the future, I now want to do what Jordan does, independently, independently making videos where I take the facts and opinions of people who have a good grasp on the state of affairs and projecting it in an entertaining way. I realized that to do this, I would mainly need to develop my skills in research slash critical thinking, writing and oratory skills. I have a couple of questions. Uh, first one, what are some good books you'd recommend for developing each skill? Do you think that universities, polytechs or other kinds of institutions could help hone those skills in any way? Uh, and last question, recently I've been going to a program by a social service to help youth get their foot in the door and I'm soon going to be hooked up with a local newspaper. Would you say that working with a mainstream news source will stunt my growth? 
Anyway, thank you for reading out this ramble. Both of you keep up your good work and hope Jordan doesn't commit suicide via three gunshots to the back of his head. Ooh, that's very That's specific. very nice of Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's usually too. It would be it would be good effort if you if uh, someone managed to actually like, I mean, who actually falls for that if someone, if they see a corpse with three gunshots to the back of the head? Oh, yeah. Must be suicide. Does the public actually fall for that kind of shit? I don't think the public gives a fuck. That's why it usually you get away with it. Because yeah, that's yeah, what happens in Japan heaps, apparently. But you know what really happens here? The way to kill someone in the West is to wait until they're on a tall building and then you say, oh my God, they jumped off. And then you wait until they run over. This is what the CIA does all the time. And then you just lift them up by the ankles, push them off, walk away. Now that's a suicide. Whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. So you wait till they run over to... Wait, so you go up there and you say, look, someone's trying to jump off. Yeah, or anything to get them over there. Oh my God, look. And then they run over. Oh, it's just about getting and- their attention to go look and where. <laughs> Damn. Well, yeah, that's sure, the uh, usual. The Clint- eh? the Clinton's fingerprints are on a few of those, eh? Probably. And look, I'm only saying Allegedly. that because Alex Jones is so convinced of it that he's convinced me. <laughs> Same. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to some of the. <laughs> Real questions here. Um, so first of all, with this question regarding universities, polytechs, other institutions, uh, if you're looking to get into the world of, of what Jordan and I do, um, the best course I've seen anyone do and I think has uh, helped him the most is actually there's a six or 12-month TAFE course on media production. That's all you need. You learn how to uh, – you, you learn basic editing and uh, videography skills. And for what we do, that's all you really need. Then as anyone in this industry would know, a lot of it is just learning on the fly, actually using YouTube uh, as a great educational tool uh, because editing software and cameras are just continually improving at an exponential rate. So whatever you learn in any course is probably going to be outdated within three or four years. So you always have to be willing to upgrade your skills. But Jordan, uh, his question about books, what books would you recommend for developing the skills he's looking to develop? Edward de Bono, anything by him, give it a go. Now, the exercises that he does, I must admit to something here. I don't do them because they're shit boring. No offense to the guy, he's a brilliant man, but think of 12 alternatives for a straw. What is this, an IQ test? Pretty much. That's really what it is, though, most of those, I think. But the basics of what he talks about, uh, how to have a beautiful mind. Uh, what were the other ones? He's got other ones. The point is, the <laughs> so guy... You're, you're, you swear by this book, you don't do the exercise and you can't remember what he yeah. says. <laughs> you know what Edward Debono is to me? The university version of R.L. Stein. I, I've read his books... But it was so long ago that I can't remember. Was one called The Day of the Big Ant? I, I don't know. I'd have to... I don't even know what the... What, slappy. Something about Slappy. But it's like that. It's just so hazy. It's, it's the scholastic phrase of being in your early 20s and being too into pickup. 
That's when you get. That's when you know you're too into pickup. When you're not even reading books about pickup anymore, you're just reading and, and generally in the field. So you're reading about how to achieve a beautiful mind, and you're relating that to picking up women. Sounds like a very yeah. male brain, actually. <laughs> I know. Well, let's be honest. Australian. Come on, have we ever read anything that isn't to do with picking up? It it really is. You're just really extending out from there. I don't know what it is. I think it's just yeah, when you. T- I, I'm what? not going to say no because uh, I think that's just naturally where, how how the male brain works. You figure out how the uh, lessons you've you've learned will help you in your sex life. Pretty much. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, really, as long as it gets you to read. It was one of the most, I think we've discussed it before, but I still like it. One of the most profound realizations I ever had came from a pickup guru who said, if you look around at everything that has been built, every system, every concreted footpath, it was a guy trying to get laid. It was a guy trying to get laid. It's so strange to just go through life and think, wow, it's all an extension of sex. And he, he's probably a lot closer to the truth than he is How further would from you, it. We are digressing a little bit from this man's question, but we'll get back to you, Sorry. J.O. But Sorry. how would you, how would you uh, uh, explain, say, monks or... Uh, men who have chosen to be celibate that seems like a pretty you know that 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 seems like a a life goal that definitely conflicts with uh trying to get laid unless there's some sort of subconscious way that they're passing on their their genes through their ideas rather than just biologically i'm not sure no they've tried to short circuit the game but really they are admitting that there's a game there because they're trying there's a huge emphasis on celibacy isn't there but they're trying to cheat it i think that's what's happening interesting interesting take um what do you think about <laughs> him you. in the you know, I, I, look I, no comment i don't i don't know <laughs> but i do think sex is a, a huge drive for everyone um but it's it's very obvious with men. Uh, okay, so recently he's going to a program by a social service to help youth get their foot in the door, and he's soon going to be hooked up with a local newspaper. My first response to that is I, I don't see how working with a local newspaper will help you in our field because it's a much more outdated media institution. Having said that, any experience is probably good experience. I'm sure you could still learn things. Uh, I feel like you'd learn a lot more maybe working as a as a volunteer for um, another YouTuber or or a media organization that has uh, online content. Uh, so I would be skeptical about working at a local newspaper, especially if you don't, it doesn't sound like you want to do print journalism. But what do you think? No, I think Neil's, you can't. First off, it's going to be training you to think like a journalist does, which is a terrible, terrible way to think. Uh, so I wouldn't be doing it to begin with because it's basically just going to justify in your mind that, yeah, no, of course, in uh, a, 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 a 
when, when you're talking about a, an entire national park getting uh, redeveloped, the really important thing to focus on here is uh, that John Barillaro said it's a good thing and didn't back it up with any evidence. Yeah, that's 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 the story there. You know, like that's how they teach you. It's like get in. What did the person say? Print it. Move on. It's the opposite of thinking critically. That's a journalist. A journalist really in the mainstream media is a scribe. Just how the Kings had some guy walking around and they say, I doth decree that geese have to wear pants on Tuesday. And somebody had to write that. That's you. Do you think that's what, do you think they're just forced to, to, um, to do that in order to climb the ladder and hopefully get to a point where they can be the one writing the opinion pieces. I'm sure that ladder may not exist uh, in the same way it used to, but was that the established order of things where at first you start off as the scribe, but then ideally if you uh, appease the powers that be and the gatekeepers, you then get to have a little bit more say, but by then you've been so ingrained in that sort of institutional thinking that it's, that it's too late. That's Would that it. be a correct assessment? You won't move up if you're a free thinker. The reason that they put you in the position to do editorials is because you believe down the line what that newspaper does. Like, I, again, bring back to that video, how to solve a problem like Friendly Geordie. Talking to those journalists, Christo and I having a little chat to them, they do truly believe that their paper is independent they believe their slogan and it doesn't matter what evidence you put in front of them the fact that you're sponsored by banks the fact that peter costello is on your board the fact that you are owned by channel nine the fact that you have liberal party fundraisers in your headquarters but our chief editor said that's not a good look that's the same as not being biased right you know they to get to that position, you have to be so deeply indoctrinated that you believe the slogan on the side of a bus. You are not going to learn how to think critically being a journalist. Hmm. Strong words. Sounds like we uh, we both suggest you don't work at the local. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Apologies to whichever this local newspaper is. Could be a great one. Yeah. Well, actually, the Northern, look, the Northern Territory Weekly. I mean, it's not even a local paper. Oh, I may as well be a local paper if it's with the, the population main paper in the Northern Territory. Is that basically the side of the Northern Territory? Thank you for doing so. But yeah, as Neil points out, your population is probably the size of Miranda. So. What's the point of you, really? You're not even big enough to be a state. You get all the payouts coming. Neil and I don't even go to you. <laughs> yeah, what have you got? Darwin, <laughs> Alice Springs, and, and what? Well, that's it, right? Have you been that's to it, surely. Darwin? Have you ever done a show in Darwin? Nah, have you? No, I was going to for a while, and then um, we couldn't find an appropriate venue because I, I think, that if I remember correctly, they have one quite large theatre, which costs a lot. And I wasn't confident I could sell it out. So, and then after that, they have just just a bunch of bars. So I didn't go. Sounds like Darwin. Yeah. What the hell is that? Sorry. So your options are any fans. <laughs> no wonder no one goes and does shows there. You either do a show with a max capacity of twenty five, and this is pre COVID, or you do the Acer Arena. 
basically. Mm. I would love to visit Kakadu one day. I've never actually been there. Um, see all the crocs. That'd be nice. It's great. I'm sure mm, it's so great. So am I. Um, so I guess I guess a lot of it. It's it's he's just left high school as well. So uh, I do still firmly believe any experience is good experience. But if you have a variety of experience, that's also beneficial. So if you spend ten years at a local newspaper, I I I can't see how that would um, benefit you in comparison to say one or two years at a local newspaper, one or two years in a newer social media firm, uh, one or two years in a larger established media company. Uh, but I definitely think a six or, or 12 month TAFE course on media production is your best bet. You don't need so to do too. a three year degree in, in no. media. I, I, I just, I firmly believe it's a, it's a waste of money. If you, if you want to do what we're doing and having said that, you don't even need to do that TAFE course. I'm, I'm self-taught, uh, when it comes to editing and, um, there are plenty of ample people that, um, have, very uh proficient videography skills so uh yeah um i hope that answered your question jo like i said well yeah jo just as a general piece of advice i don't think that you should even be looking for internships i went down that path i think i wasted years doing it i think what neil did which is pretty much fresh out of high school start youtubing that's what you should do the only other additional piece of advice that i would say hone in on is Go to your local library, pick a topic that you're interested in, pick out any books in it that you look interesting to you and start reading those. Don't worry about internships, fuck it. You want to be uh, of use to this country, you have an interesting mind. What the great analogy of this, I suppose, that always stuck in my mind was before newspapers, men had minds that were gardens and after newspapers, men had minds that were monocrop wheat fields. And I see it over and over in my own comments. Say when people say, you don't criticize Labour enough, always with the you, I say, all right, what should I be criticizing them on? And I know every time what they're going to say because there's 12 attack points that the press pick up on and they just keep hitting those same. And then without exception, down the line, these are the points. These are the points that I came up with. What you need is a unique mind. You get a unique mind by reading a range of different books. Mm. Not the same fucking books that you get at the airport, which is actually ironically Edward de Bono. Like, but the thing is, he's kind of teaching you how to think differently so there's use in that but most of the books that you read of like you know they're the same books most people are reading the same books but there are libraries with hundreds of thousands of books of books some of them will be shit but you will find gems every now and then and i think that if you want to be doing that that's a much every hour that you spend reading those books as opposed to sitting in the newspaper fucking them saying like uh, the local member said that he's building a pack. Just write down that the local member is building a pack. You're not exercising your mind. You are training your mind to be a wheat field. Strong, so that's my little piece words. of it. I but like anyway. it. And this may seem simple, but uh, have a group of friends from a variety of social circles and 
don't just hang out with the same people. You learn a lot more from, I suppose, when you when you obtain a variety of experiences, but when you hang around a variety of people as well. Can I really briefly, Jordan, before we actually get into the topic we want to talk about, on what you just said, uh, I was reading some of the uh, media sources that you recommend. I can't remember if it was Michael West or Independent Australia, but they were critical of Labor's acceptance of the new tax plan. Uh, what is your opinion of that? I'd be My opinion of that is uh, stop your bitching. And I will always say that to anyone that it was just like, mm, you sold out on housing. They gave you two opportunities in two elections to vote against that. They also did that the same with the GST when they said mm, they accepted it. They ran against it twice. After a while, you realize you're not going to win an election if you do that. So what they have done is an analysis and realize if we do anything on housing, we're never going to win that election. The housing... Uh, lobby groups now are even more powerful than the mining industry some people say at the very least it's like one and two uh can, when, can sorry, i just jump in there r- really quickly is it, it so is this tax because the way i understood it is that uh the marginal tax rate for australians from for, for a certain portion of being i think in that sort of upper middle class bracket is um that's lowering is that are we talking about the same thing is that yeah, no, sorry, there was two things that people were pissed okay. off at. They were pissed off at okay. them dropping negative gearing. And I think they also dropped capital gains, I'm not sure. Uh, and then the other one was that, yeah, they're in, uh, approving tax cuts. But the whole thing is you really don't understand what's at play here if you're bitching about those things. It's just, again, one of these things of like, it would be in an ideal world if everybody just invested in hydrogen and... Uh, we just made an economy based on universal basic income. These are just stupid floaty ideas that you hear in YouTube circles and just constant idealism bullshit. The reality is you're not going to get elected if you don't do those things. And the importance of being elected just on basic things like making the government function, it has just been so pulled back after 10 years of the Liberal Party being in that as we were talking about in another podcast, the privatization of the government over the last 10 years is atrocious. It has made it completely uh, like ineffective. Like we, we're really getting to that precipice point where we are creating a shell of a government and replacing it with external private consultancy firms that are running the country instead. There are big, big things that need to be addressed. And even just putting those things back into the bureaucracy as opposed to spending tens of billions of dollars on these consultants extra. Like, for instance, I just read that, uh, for, you know, how Scott Morrison and the Libs are always saying, oh, we need to cut back on red tape, cut back on red tape. Their government costs twice as much to run as Scott Morrison, uh, as Kevin Rudd's did. And it's because all of it is privatised. It's because they're just putting everyone out on just these little temporary contracts to freak them the fuck out. The other big problem about that is as well is the fact that they're all externalized. Nobody actually knows how the government functions anymore. And that's a deliberate design because they don't want the government functioning. So there's all these big, big things that are changing. And then everyone just bitches and moans about negative gearing, improving tax rate. It's the same thing with the liberals. The liberals cannot get elected if they gut Medicare. 
That is something that the Labor Party installed that they are never, ever, ever going to be able to properly, comprehensively touch. They can fuck around it with the edges, but that is something that is just there. For the rest, as, as, as long as Australian society exists, it's there. I think that the Liberals, conversely, have done the same thing to the housing market, which is fucked, but that's the reality of the situation. Sorry about that. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to uh, lowering taxes. You aren't going to get elected if you have pissed off all of the people in the bracket with access to lawyers, with access to groups, that they are yeah. engaged, educated people. They're going to be sitting there and they're going to be spreading that message. Fuck these guys. Yeah. It does seem uh, rather hypocritical to be calling uh, Labour a, a bunch of socialists while they're uh, approving a tax cut. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's, the, it's a common case, you know. It's whatever you want it to be, but it's just the raw reality of governing is a lot more straightforward than these namby-pamby ideas that you hear from a lot of these commentators. Sorry. Mm. No, no, I, I, that's great. I wanted to get your uh, opinion on that. Um, so prepping for climate change. Yeah, this is a, good move. This is, a, this is a deep rabbit hole. Uh, from the books I've read, it's fair to assume that uh, more extreme weather um, conditions are imminent, or it's very likely that they're imminent. Uh, Australia will be experiencing more days in summer that are, are above 40 degrees Celsius, uh, a longer bushfire season, um, less than optimal weather for uh, agriculture, uh, when flooding and rainfall does occur, it will be a lot more intense. So what do you do if you are our age, you know, in your 20s or your 30s, and this is projected to worsen as we age? What are some uh, strategies you can employ as an individual? Or if you have a family, you obviously want to give your children the best shot at a healthy, happy life as they're growing up? And what are some realistic strategies as well? Because I've heard a lot of uh, big tech billionaires are doomsday prepping and they're uh, purchasing underground bunker apartments or they're actually purchasing large spots of land in New Zealand because it's projected that New Zealand won't be as adversely affected by climate change as Australia. Uh, from what I've read, the Australian climate will basically become, well, it could even get to a point where it's uninhabitable uh, near the end of the century. These, these are projections. We don't actually, we don't 100% know what it's going to look like, but um, it's fair to keep this in the back of your mind. If you are Hang on, our age, all of Australia is going to be uninhabitable. No, I don't know if all of it's going to be uninhabitable. But sorry, sorry, large, I missed it. A larger portion than already. I mean, already there's a massive desert in the middle, uh, but a larger portion of Australia is going to become uninhabitable. What? Where and did they say it was going to be okay? It also look. We don't know what the technology is going to be like in fifty, sixty, seventy years. So mass improvements in technology could actually make places that would otherwise previously have been uninhabitable, habitable. Um, but all the major population centers 
Uh, this is a book called Sunburn Country. And it was a while since I've read it, but I've just since after this report came out, I've just my interest in this has reemerged. Uh, we're looking at a, like a lot more sort of really horrendous extreme weather conditions. Um, I suppose yes, whether it becomes uninhabitable or not, I don't actually know. But there are other fears, like could uh, you know supply chains for food and agriculture become disrupted and it could legitimately be climate refugee crises from uh you know large population centers in southeast asia it could be migrating southward these are just chance events it's not certain that any of this is going to happen but they're uh, they're, they're, they're not unreasonable either they're within the realm of possibility uh, so Jordan, I know you have a much, uh, much more expertise on this subject. Should we start moving to New Zealand? <laughs> what do we do? You know what, Neil, that's not a bad idea. Cause I don't actually know anything about, I'm always looking at it from a macro. It looks like you're actually looking at, okay, where's going to be habitable in the future. I have no idea. I would like people to write in the comments what they think about that actually i can tell you about things that you can be doing to your own house but i didn't even know that they were projecting that most of the regional uh, major city centers that we're looking at are going to be look as you said as well these are the big supply chain things like food and stuff they're going to be massively disrupted uh we are looking at a planet it depends if it gets okay, let's, let me, I'll take back uninhabitable. I don't know if that, that may be a definite uh, exaggeration, but we are definitely, it's, it's, all the projections are saying much more extreme uh, weather patterns, massive heat waves, and uh, a lot of flooding, things like that. Lo much longer bushfire season, all of that mm. sort of stuff. Mm. Um. Look, yes, when you, when you, when you look at it, uh, from that level it's always the the situation is extremely grim when you start looking at it from where you are on a smaller scale it actually starts to become a little more manageable because even in the projected scenario of uh, over four degrees of heating i think they're still saying that the planet would be habitable for a billion people now that means just you know unprecedented levels of death and destruction but we're still looking at a planet that isn't Mars and uh, Russia is going to apparently again, it's just some of the um, things I've read and seen all of the Siberian desert in Russia. If that four degrees occurs, that will start to actually become habitable closer to the equator will become just uninhabitable. Hmm. Hmm. So Russia and could something be that you said about like power. Western Australia. This was one video I saw. Um, it seems strange to me. So I don't know how true this is, but there was a, just a map that said, "Hey, it, within the late twenty, within the late two thousands, uh, the, the the they had some green areas of where uh, it, it, it's projected to be sort of livable conditions, and there was just this random little pocket of green on Western Australia." Um, where, but that's, where? That was on a real life law. It was on a real life law video. Uh, it's a video, so it wasn't a book. Um, yeah, but I does, just want to know, out know, of curiosity, intuitively, where? it's it's it was Seems somewhere weird. like a bit. 
yeah, I know. It was somewhere like sort of quite north of Perth, um, mm. somewhere near the middle of on the coastline of Western Australia. But I, I cannot uh, attest to the sort of validity of that sort of a claim. I just saw it on a video once. And my track record over the last few podcasts uh, has been pretty atrocious, saying 50 Cent is the third best-selling album of all time. Has the third best-selling album of all time. <laughs> pretty you horrible. You said that, though. No, look, that was great. <laughs> yeah. It had its own charm. Can we all... Everyone buy that album so that it actually climbs back up into the top 10 so that I can Wouldn't actually... Wouldn't that be amazing? A late bloomer. Like climate change, the world's opinion changes and we, we realise what we lost when he dies. I'm, Maybe he's like very... a much more successful version of Van Gogh. It's not, it's not impossible. At least still alive, no. could do something amazing and then this is that that could like cause <laughs> <laughs> back catalogue sales. Um, uh, as I was going to say, I, I think I, I, if I have the money... I would love to uh, live off the grid. I mean, not entirely off the grid, but have uh, the potential to live off the grid. So just enough of a food supply that could last, uh, you know, a couple of months for myself. And then if I do have a family, things like rainwater tank and uh, just generators uh, have some sort of safety measures in place where if touch wood there is some sort of disaster there's another you know something like a solar flare could occur and these apparently occur we're due for one in the next 20 to 30 years and it's estimated that if a bad solar flare occurs it could just wipe out a lot of the electricity grid and it could it could take months to bring it back up to speed now in that time period it it, it would just be anarchy it, it, it could be just total chaos so uh, I, I think it, it, look, if you have the resources, if you have the money, I don't see how it hurts to uh, have those sort of contingency plans in place for yourself and, and, and your family. And it, look, if, if you have the money, your friends and even a whole community of people, if possible, I can only imagine this could be done regionally. I can't, it, I'd imagine this would be quite difficult to do if you live in an urban center. Um, but there's something about being self-sustainable that regardless of climate change, that appeals to me. So uh, it's just about actually doing that. There's a lot of people that actually live that way. And it's not, it, it would take a lot of work, but it's also, it doesn't seem that, uh, that impossible either. But still, this all relies on you finding the right land in that future. And also with the solar flare thing, not yeah. to depress everyone. But if that happened, I remember reading about this, that means all you're looking at uh, nuclear meltdowns worldwide. Uh, and you would just be having to rely on everyone manually shutting it down in time, which probably wouldn't fucking happen. So you're looking at you know, many Fukushima's at once. But anyway. Um, Jeez. Yeah. Uh, and we're due for one of those. We are due for one of those. That's the scariest thing. Yeah. Off yeah, the grid uh, living really does sound appealing day by day. It really does. But I still think that 
the question becomes, where do you do it? Now, New Zealand, it seems like, look, we've got that free economic zone and their climate, again, for this is all from what I've heard and what I've read, uh, their climate is going to be less affected by that average temperature increase. But yeah, go on. What were you going to say? I was saying also that I think just in terms of like the medium term, really what you should be doing, and this is definitely what I'm going to be doing because I'm looking for a house to buy. And I've changed exactly how I've thought about housing. It's, it's such a stupid loop around, but it actually came from, have you heard about this show, Neil? Have you heard about Lux listings? Yeah. Is that that new show on, is it Channel 9, whether it's just the most prestigious real estate in Sydney and a bunch of sleazy real estates trying to, real, well, you just need to say real estate agent. You don't need to say sleazy. Don't need to, but out of it. I think it's worth emphasizing at this point, Neil. They're the scum of the earth, these guys. Can you imagine this? Real estate agents from the eastern suburbs. Can you imagine what scum you're fucking dealing with there? Just like well, they're, they're, I know that we give a lot of shit agents because if you're getting one percent on a sale of a one million dollar house versus one percent on a sale of a ten million dollar house, that's that's where you want to be. But yes, oh, for very sure. scummy. Yeah, no, you. But this is the whole thing. They just they're all fucking kids from that grew up in Dover Heights and stuff, and they're like, you don't understand how hard I hustle. It's always the catch cry of someone that doesn't hustle, isn't it? Someone that says, you know, you got to respect the grind. you got to hustle. They're always a lazy piece of shit with some job like a fucking real estate agent, which is like, you don't understand how hard it is opening the door and saying, what do you think? It's such a, f- it's, it's easier than podcasting. <laughs> And it's yeah, more they, they fun. Really do, I, I would prefer their they, job. I would love walking around mansions all day saying, this is luxe. This is not as luxe as the last house. Yeah, yeah. They, it, it really seems like a very unnecessary middleman. But yeah, like, I swear, yeah. They, may, they rake it in in the eastern suburbs, I'm assuming. Yes, they or do. Or any rich area in Australia, they live. I think just anywhere in Australia, they're raking it in. This is the other thing that's amazing about it. The fact that they're like, you don't un- Wow, our work is really paying off. We're making a million dollars profit this month, guys. It's so, it's so hard to make money in an artificially inflated bubble that is constantly getting bigger and bigger with bigger and bigger foreign investors coming into it. Like how fucking hard is our job? It's amazing. It's just like you're skimming off the top of like a fail-safe industry and talking about what a fucking economic genius you are. But sorry, I'm, I'm getting off the point here. Like what they were, <laughs> sorry, so stupid. No, but like <laughs> what they were saying is, and this is something that I was, I, I can't believe I've, I didn't even think about it. Everyone's just going to think I'm a moron because I was thinking for the last year, there's no good houses. But this is the whole thing. I, I don't know if anyone else has ever caught onto this before, but what you do is you buy any house and you renovate it and it costs not that much you could do a fairly decent renovation job for 50 grand and instead of buying a two million dollar house you could buy a 1.4 million dollar house and make it a two million dollar house with like a hundred thousand dollars in it it's 
it's, I, I can't believe it took me that long, but it was just the one thing that I did get is one of those fucks from Lux going like, Jacinta, Jacinta, don't look at the house. Look at the view. What do you think of the view? Do you like that? Then just make the house whatever you want. It's like, I can't believe it never fucking dawned on me. I, and I can't believe I learned wise something words. from Lux listings. It's pretty wise words, right? The, the two things that you always hear in the property market every time, over and over, location, 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 and buy the worst house in the best street. I think the reason that everyone hears that is because that really is all it is to property investment. There's nothing else you need to know. But, and really, even when we're talking about climate change, location, 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 New Zealand, probably somewhere in the mountains. But, yes, you and be you not, know what? Not Actually, far below sea level, you want to be as high above sea level as possible. See, that sounds about right, Neil. And I think you're probably right. And I don't think maybe house prices, they'd be like, oh my God, his prices have gone through the roof, eh? And you'd be like, what is it? And it's like, you wouldn't under- you wouldn't believe it. $300,000 Australian for a 50-acre <laughs> farm. <laughs> don't you reckon? Don't you reckon, like, oh, if you no, looked at gonna, it, they would be, be co- complaining. Like, oh, there, there was a shot Kiwi accent. Was, yeah, but look, you obviously mastered it. You're way videos. better at it than me, but... No, I can't do it. Apparently, not... my Kiwi accents... My Kiwi accent sucks. Uh, they're always commenting. And I'm like, look, I, th- be happy that I included you, okay? You're I a fucking little thing. island in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Even though I just, I, you're, I, you're probably my future home, but... I think actually they're right though. Like at the very least, maybe it's a good idea to look into an investment property there if you can afford it. And I honestly think that it'd probably be, but you know what's a way better idea than getting a piece of shit apartment in Sydney that's going to fucking crack and and crumble in on itself because of like our terrible, terrible, uh, again, the privatization of um, uh, like safety inspections and shit like that which is a much bigger problem than you would think as well. I think it's we're up to 85% of apartments built in the last 10 years are just crumbling in on themselves slowly. Um, much better exam- better investment would be just to get something in New Zealand. Much better. Just some piss well, town. I mean, China's doing the smart thing and they're, uh, they're offering above market above market prices for Australia's productive assets. So they're not really just like going into the speculative markets, but they're actually buying farms and ports and things that actually that, that have a real tangible value to them. Mm. And, it, you know, it's not just like that high-end market where people, high-end art where people, oh, I think that's worth $100 million, therefore it's worth $100 million. There's some sort of, you know, there's a, like a tangible, there's an actual there's some sort of product or service that they're investing in. Yeah, man. I mean, that's just what any good investor yeah, does though, right? Like, like I, I, I honestly, you know what? I'm really starting to understand more and more the older I get. There's so many bullshit spinners mm. in the world, but life is actually pretty straightforward. Just like what they were saying there. What's a good investment if you could afford it? A port. A port would be a fucking brilliant investment. No matter where it was, if you could afford it, it would probably turn money, right? I think it's, as you're saying, there's a lot of just constant hype and people trying, but these things come and go. There's some things that will just stay there and they will make money. 
And yeah, your your New Zealand idea is great. But sorry, uh, back to the. I, I thought you'd be able to because it's interesting how you've def- you've thought about this a lot on a macro level. But I thought you'd also have a contingency plan in place for when you're in your fifties or sixties. But uh, no, Christ, well, no. It'll be very I, interesting to read the comments on this one. Wouldn't it? I really want to know your guys' ideas on what you're prepping because it's even great that you're even thinking about it, Neil. But Canada, uh, yeah. ha- they say Canada and, and sort of northern areas of – a lot of um, southern areas of USA. I mean, California's already facing a lot more wild fires. Florida, they project, could be completely submerged. Again, a lot of these – look, we don't know – that these are all definitely going to come true. Uh, but I just feel like it's better to be safe than sorry. If, if you don't have to completely turn your life upside down, if you, if you start to just think about this a little bit now and then say through the 20s and the early 30s, okay, you start to see those trends emerge. You start to see longer bushfire seasons, more intense flooding, all the things that they're talking about. Then I think by the mid-30s, that's when you really, if especially, I hope I have a family by then, and that's just, that's really when I, I want to start thinking. Okay, what what am I going to do now? What this is a fork in the road here. Is Australia going to be a livable country by the time my kids are um, middle aged and, and and senior citizens? So you, think, look, it's never too early to start thinking about it. It's never too early, but I think the. Um... I think the general rule that you're coming across and anyone correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, but go cold, get something that's cold now because it'll be a nice climate by the thirties, forties, fifties. Yeah. I think, I don't know if it's as that simple, uh, but as a general rule better, of thumb, yeah, you don't want to go somewhere super hot. That just seems yeah, don't don't Illogical. buy Morocco. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, don't buy the Sah- in the Sahara Desert. <laughs> Can you imagine how fucking dry the Sahara Desert will be? <laughs> that is Damn. such a strange thought. Thinking about how that place could get any worse. I suppose it just it, it just expands out. It just becomes half the continent instead of a third of it. Mm. Uh, I've I've seen a few videos again. These are a lot of this is videos. I haven't done like an extensive amount of research on this by any means. And I've said that already. But look, this is a very obviously this is a very serious issue, and I just want to make that very clear. Um, but uh, a lot of uh, African countries are starting to industrialize, but they could hit a really unfortunate roadblock in 20 30 40 years when um new climates make agriculture in their country virtually impossible whereas i hear uh sort of those northern parts of canada and a lot of russia may actually become arable and 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 there may actually be optimal an optimal climate for farming and there could be just massive amounts of refugees you know, from Southern USA and Central America going further north, some of the Northern American states apparently will be quite livable. Um, but again, well, I just need to reiterate, this is not something I am 
by any means an expert on. And also a lot of the, that one book I read, uh, What We Know About Climate Change, he made a point right at the start to say, the climate is such a complicated ecosystem and all the, you know, the gases in the atmosphere and, 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 and the way that, um, uh, you know, forests and um, water temperature, the way it all interplays, it's impossible to accurately project exactly what's going to happen because there's all sorts of flow on effects. So a lot of these are their best projections, but they're by no means set in stone. No, but as I now think back on it, the general rule of thumb was you want to be buying in Victoria and Tasmania, which again makes sense. And they're right, obviously, but I think that people generally have the idea that, look, again, nasty hoarded advice like location, 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 but that's probably the right way to go. I think also when it comes to it, uh, I think you would just be doing a massive service. First off, in terms of just the basics of trying to prevent as much as you possibly can, what you can do on a personal scale, tell as many people as you can to switch your super to uh, an ethical super fund. I, I like Future Super. And in fact, actually, I was listening to a bunch of people saying that their returns when they went to Future Super were so much better than their original super fund. And this is even with, yeah, it's got a slightly higher thing than one of those nasty hoarded ones like Colonial First or something where they can charge, say, 0.8% or something. They charge 1% or something. But because I got so many people to go into it, they actually reduced how much they were charging by 14% and they will keep wow. reducing it. It's just that Good they're a, a small, yeah, but they're a small industry, so they're doing it. But like we we divested $200 million out of fossil fuels by doing that, right? You convince all of your friends to do that. It, it is a better return for you, even when you factor in the fact that you're paying more. It's just because they're investing in these things and these are boom industries. You can't invest enough. We're talking about transforming the entire grid globally. You can't invest enough money into that. Uh, also, sustainable agriculture, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's the first. The second one, obviously, you know, switch your power to something like... Uh, uh, What's it called again? PowerShop. PowerShop, uh, cheaper, cheaper than your currently en current energy bill anyway. They offset all of your energy. That's something, again, that we can collectively do. We Neil and I can do this because we're talking to an audience, so we can remind people of that. Ecosia, switch to Ecosia uh, as your search engine. You're just planting trees when you do that. When it comes to your own house, I truly think that this is the thing that you do. When you buy a house, buy a house that is cheaper than what you can afford. Uh, and then you spend that extra money on doing it up. And when you're doing it up, you make it more ecologically friendly. And I'm telling you, because I've been looking at these houses, mm. they are a lot better walking into. They look better. They feel better. Like, for instance, one that I went to recently, instead of the floor being carpet or wood, it was concrete that they had lacquered. The reason that they do that is, and it looks cool in the, like you can make that look really modern, right? But the reason that you're doing that is because you're reducing your power bill. Not only are you reducing your power bill, but you're insulating your house. So when it is 40 degrees in your house, it'll be 30 just because of that. Not, not that much of a change, but still there'll be a big change because you're doing those things. Um, house plants actually can uh, cool a, a, 
in uh, a space of living by up to 10 degrees. Isn't that incredible? And I, I truly do think they make the house. Neil's house, Neil's house is a very nice environment to walk into. And it's because it's almost like it's half reclaimed, like it's in fucking I Am Legend or something. It's because there's just a bunch of plants in there. And you're right. Like you go into these houses and they do have that. They'll have a wall filled with plants. That's better for the environment anyway. You're kind of creating a small little, you know, the same with your garden. I think that anything that is a lawn is a complete waste. It's so much money in upkeep, so much upkeep. You could be planting trees on it. And again, this switches the microclimate in your own house. It makes, and you, you see that life starts going into it. It's just like my neighbor because I never do anything. I'm too busy with the, the garden near my house. He's just planted a bunch of plants in it. But you see the difference. The area, it was, I always remember it just being hot and flat my entire childhood there. And then he started planting all that shit. It's not like that anymore. There's, there's a different climate just in that. You feel it when you just walk under a tree. It's cooler, right? So you, you want to be doing that to your own house. Uh, you want to be putting in solar power because that just pays for itself anyway. And then the other thing that is massive, huge in the age of climate change, you want to be putting as many water storage tanks in your house as possible. And the thing yeah. is, you can basically make your house almost run itself. Like it's so low, the houses that I've been looking at, these sustainable houses, so low maintenance. Mm, that's something you know the, the cement is just nothing like so easy to clean what would uh, you, what would you say is an estimate cost for uh transforming a you know a modest three-bedroom red brick house um into what you're talking about see I, I have no idea about that none what i do know is that it pays for itself for sure because it, the, the thing that you also understand about houses is that yeah okay there might be a limit in terms of the market that you're in right but say that you're in like a, an area that has an average of 1.5 million, just as an example, right? Mm -hmm. That the average they sell for 1.5. God, this must seem so bizarre. This is for all these fucks that keep writing to us going like, so hard to afford a house in Perth or, or Adelaide or whatever, right? This is what we're dealing with here. Both Neil and I are looking at a house for 1.5 million and we're thinking bargain. That's what we're dealing with, all right? So I don't want to hear not, any I'm bitching and looking. complaining. <laughs> But I've you've got, got that. Those, I got one of the ones you're talking about. One of those apartments that are probably cracking by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that, and I think that it was a good investment for Neil because he did it years ago. But if you're doing it now, I, I really think that you should be investing your money into other things. I think that it's getting worse and worse. The liberals are just stripping it back the problems that you're now seeing in the houses that even from 10 years ago, let alone the fucking tic-tac shit that they're building now. Terrible, terrible investment. But I don't know how much it costs, but what I do know is I was looking in an area uh, where the average was about 1.7, I think the average was. Okay. But again, if that's the average, that means that there's houses that are easily selling for 2 million, 2.3 or whatever. This house that had done all the stuff that I'm talking about, the average was 1.7, it was selling for 2.5. And, and it wasn't even getting to auction, Neil. It wasn't even going to auction because there was so much interest in it that it was pushing up further than 2.5. It wasn't even in a, that, it was in a fairly desirable suburb, but not 
Dover Heights. Right you know? now, I don't know what's happening, but uh, during the course of the pandemic and and these ongoing lockdowns, the housing market just continues to rise. Uh, the satellite cities around Australia, uh, around Sydney, so your Central Coast, Wollongong, Newcastle, um, a lot of people, it might be because now a lot of people are working remotely. They mm. don't want the hustle and bustle of the city. So mm. the mm. house prices in, well, I know Eliza, who I do the Sex Sales podcast, which just recently bought a house in the Central Coast and mm. it's something like doubled in value over the last two years or something ridiculous. Mm. And you know, it's like near, nearly a million dollars for a house in the Central Coast. No offense to anyone listening in the Central Coast, but fuck me. I know. <laughs> I know. They're all millionaires. Oh, you definitely see it. Like the, the fact, because I've been looking in the Central Coast as well, and the fact that you are paying the same amount for a house in the Central Coast as the Shire is, again, everything about the housing market is terrifying. And it's obviously a bubble. And if you buy now, mm. it's probably going to burst, but That's whatever. That's what scares me. What? The bubble thing. But this is the thing, Neil. Like, it's just, I think this is just a necessary evil. Like, yes. Yeah. But you the thing to, is, I think that all of It's a place to it, live. You have to. It's a place to live. And it's, I think anything other than that is tea leaf reading. I really do. Like, because I've been listening to economists for the past 10 years say it's going to burst, you know, next year, next year, next That's year, true. next year. They've been but, saying that for a long time. Yeah. And it well, hasn't yeah, Exactly, because we're locked into it's it's horrible. The economics behind housing, as we've discussed before, are just atrocious. It's really the biggest curse on our generation and on our country's economy. The fact that there is now uh, one in every five dollars locked into housing is just such a terrible blight and strain on the economy that could be invested in a bunch of things that you know could be doing actual useful things. But putting all this that aside. In fact, actually, the house that I'm talking about was in the Central Coast. Um, it was a nice suburb in the Central Coast. Average in the Central Coast. Yeah, Jesus. it's it's a good suburb. It's a good suburb, but it's not. It's not like the best, um, which tells you how much the fucking Central Coast has gone through the roof. And you know what? The other thing is as Jesus. well is because of all the apartments that they're building, uh, there's just no houses left. So everyone, like, what is used to be the Shire is turning slowly into Zetland and what is the Shire is becoming Gosford. They say uh, Perth is now the most livable and affordable city in Australia. That's so, depressing. There you go. Shout out. Mm. Maybe yeah, Darwin's next, that. hey? <laughs> <laughs> what else? Alice Springs? Oh, I like man. I've been to Alice Springs a few times. Yeah, so have I. What the hell? I like. I don't. But I've never been to Darwin. I don't. What think... the hell is that about? Why yeah, have we been well, to I mean, Alice Springs? I visited uh, Uluru when I was younger. That's why everyone goes, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas Darwin, I mean, what's there at Darwin? There's Kakadu. Is I, I think that's not even in. That's near Darwin, but it's not. It's not part of Darwin. I don't think. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what. Why you'd even go to Darwin? What's the tourist know. destination there? Anyone in you Darwin go, listening? Do, what do you? Yeah. What What is the like to do list when you visit Darwin? I know a guy who used to live there. <laughs> Dude, I really liked him. He was a. Uh, he was like an ex-con. Yeah. Uh, and he had all these stories from Darwin of like, cuz, 
I'll tell you what, it was so fun. Every time the monsoons came in, we just went in the sewers and we boogie boarded and you could get tubes that went for like 2Ks. It was sick. Okay, first <laughs> off, it was the sewers. But second, uh, yeah, how, how fun was that? Yeah, it was mad. A couple of my friends died, but apart from that, it was sick. <laughs> he's like That's so many stories like that. Don't you that, think? Like it's just he's, he's got he's had such Jesus. a fucked upbringing that the things that he talks about and, and says are awesome. You're sitting there horrified, but one of the he things that he said the sewers. I know. What the fuck? I don't. Are there well, I guess there must be waves in the sewers. Also, no, it was just yuck. because disgusting. But also, I'm kind of like. Well, two Ks is a long time. Maybe it was fun. I don't know what he was. Like, it might not have been two Ks. It was like a long, long stream of going. Whoa, but they were saying I, that that's what was happening because of uh, cyclones when cyclones okay. came. Okay, so that's you know? what you do. You, you buy in the sewers. You start a new society in the sewers, like that, that Futurama dystopia. You know where old New York is at the bottom of New New York, and, and that's where all the mutants live. Yep, yep. That's where all the Bogans are going to live. And, and it'll just be it's just a state of China on the surface of us. That's Australia in 2150. Just, <laughs> just a state of China and then just a few, like, uh, battlers still in the sewers, like, one day we're going to fucking reclaim this shit. <laughs> you know what? It's probably... Not that far from the truth either. As you're saying, it, it probably would be more desirable to live in a sewer. Ah, oh, that's oh, such I'm a grim something. future. Yeah. Damn. You get on the first uh And they wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be able to surf either. And cyclones <laughs> wouldn't even exist probably. Oh, no, they'd probably be, yeah, they'd come every now and then and then they'd wipe out everything and it'd be Noah's Ark. Um, mm. Yeah, with the, the bogey, the... the uh, Australian rebels will be like the Taliban of like Australia in the 2150. And then one day when, yeah. like, when, when like China slowly loses its sort of cultural uh, stranglehold, like they'll have their own uh, cultural revolution and then people will become all these like Chinese soy boys. And then that's when the, the Bogans will come back out of the sewers. <laughs> it's fucking time, cunts. Let's take this shit back. <laughs> That is a novel to write. <laughs> well, it's pretty much just tomorrow when the war began, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <I didn't laughs> like, let's be that. honest, it was <laughs> such a metaphor for China. It was so obvious. They never said who the enemy was. But the whole yeah, time right, you were saying, right, just right. say it. Is, like, there's two <laughs> options here. Is it Indonesia or China? Which one are you talking about? That's um, the other thing. Apparently, China is not looking that the climate will, if, if the projection's correct... Uh, there could be an exodus of, of well climate refugees from China, and that could be a big um, obstacle in their quest for uh, world. Well, I wouldn't say dominant prominence, um, but again, a lot of this isn't going to come to the fore till I guess the latter half of the of this century. But like I said earlier, if if I start to see, it's through of co over the course of the next ten years, if I can see um, those sorts of trends emerging in Australia, you know, more very serious bushfire seasons and things of that nature. Um, something I'd seriously think about in my mid-30s. 
relocating. Or I, the, the other thing I think about is like if you go rural in Australia, you do um, face the risk of those longer bushfire seasons. But if you live in the city, you, you, you sort of are, are much more reliant, generally much more reliant on the, the grid and, and sort of food supplies. And um, ideally, if you can sort of live near an urban center, but I don't know, maybe have some sort of a self-sufficient food source, whether it's even just a vegetable garden or something like that, that seems pretty reasonable and also achievable. And one of those eco houses that you're talking about that 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 seems like a pretty um, reasonable medium term goal. Hmm. I think that you're right. I think that you can definitely do that on the outskirts of some towns. I would be looking at Victoria or uh, Tasmania. Also, the fact that there'd be Tassie. so many people going there, like the, the the value would go through the roof anyway. But hello, Hobart. Let's go. <sighs> <laughs> I'd rather live Where's the place fucking... for the casino? No, that's the other one, not Hobart. Fuck, what's that? A lawn system. Yeah, Lonnie. Have I told you this story about my show in Launceston? Like I was oh, booked in for this theatre and yeah. then I just didn't sell enough so that they like put a bunch of seats in the fucking bar. <laughs> and everyone was like, what the fuck? I'm very sorry for every, anyone who came to that show. Like I just... Just I'd advertised it and everything, but look, didn't just didn't get the sales. It happens sometimes. Um, thank you for still coming to the show, but ooh, it was still like a pretty decent show. But yeah, it was a uh, it's a good story. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it is a good story. It's just <laughs> I, I, I've got too much empathy for it. It's just such a brutal feeling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it can be. Yeah, that's the worst when you're like just waiting to get on stage and they've just put it like a makeshift fucking box there as you stay. <laughs> oh, can't handle it. I mean, I could have done the theater, but it would have just that would have been even more awkward. Um, it was a, it's like a pretty big theater there, a couple of hundred, and there was like maybe it's like look, fifty people. You can do a good show to fifty people, and like proportionally yes, speaking, that's actually if I sell fifty in Lawrence, that's probably. In, in proportion to the population, that's probably more than selling a thousand in Sydney. Um, if you actually look at it that way. So it's not, it's not like I actually did that bad, <laughs> but um, yeah. In just some of the smaller cities, it's just, uh, it's hard to find the appropriate venue. You usually have like a, I know in Hobart, they've got that one. Apparently it's the oldest. There's a, there's a theater in Ballarat and there's one in Hobart. One of them is the oldest theater in Australia. I can't remember which one. They're both, quite old and they're both beautiful uh i have performed in both. i haven't done a show my own show but i've sort of been in a feature show in both and they're gorgeous they're great theaters um but anyway yeah uh <laughs> i might be living there in the 2040s who knows you know this crazy thought that that'll become Damn, Launceston will be Australia's Sydney. Fuck. Imagine if Tasmania is like the last, uh, it's like the Kabul right now. Oh, that's really sad what's happening, by the way. But if if like Tasmania is like the the last place that China for some reason can't take over and then there's just like this, like, there's like a wall of people around 
Oh, we gotta hold on. Jeez, to Australian it's like, culture. It'd be so easy to invade. <laughs> Such an unlikely scenario is like, how susceptible are you there? Unless you have the most pimp navy in the 1600s, it's indefensible. <laughs> Wasn't Tasmania actually the first uh, part of Australia that Abel Tasman came there in the in the 1400s? If I remember my uh, year nine Australian history, obviously Australia was settled a lot longer than that. But in terms of European discovery, mm. I, I, I heard, if I remember correctly, Tasmania was actually the first. Fuck, he really missed a big landmass, didn't he? <laughs> it's just like, how the fuck did that happen? Oh, I found this great little. This massive island here, but you just missed that other big fucking giant thing. Because if he's going from the Netherlands, he must have like what circumnavigated the whole of mainland Australia and just missed it, as you do. Like Christopher Columbus as well. Like, oh, I'm looking for India. <laughs> yeah, look what I found. Man, these guys were like, like, the like okay, I'm looking sailors. for India because. No, Christopher Columbus, I fully back Christopher Columbus. He did exactly what he was supposed to be doing, which was finding an alternate route, and then he just he was yeah. bang smacked into like one of the biggest fucking continents on earth, right? That's yeah. fine. But Abel Tasman has no excuse at all. How did he miss Australia? <laughs> I really need to know that now. That is Let me Google this. Because like, that is like Google. Christopher Columbus finding Hawaii. Oh, you know? okay, so it wasn't the 1400s, it was the 1600s. 1600s, yeah, yeah, 1600s. Um, did Abel Tasman miss Australia? As it was, did. the wind blew harder and Tasman acceded to its wishes, abandoning his plans to continue north, going east instead. In doing so, he fell short of a giant prize, becoming, with certain historical caveats, the man who discovered Tasmania but missed Australia. <laughs> Okay, Man, so okay. You, you fucked up. <laughs> How did you miss that? <laughs> wow. An unbelievable feat, really. God, that's so strange. Actually, dude, did you hear about unbelievable. this? Have you heard about that? Uh, That shipwreck around the same time. It was Dutch East India Trade Company. I can't remember all the details and I'll definitely get some of them wrong. But just as a quick overview, it has to be one of the most harrowing tales I've ever heard, which was that there was this ship that uh, I can't remember where they were going, but it was the Dutch East India Trade Company. And so kind of like planes today, they'd have a cargo of all this expensive stuff in it, but they'd also take passengers uh -huh. as well because they had the room. So they were taking them. It got wrecked on the west coast of Australia along these islands. Mm. And then I looked at the islands on Google just to see what it was like. The islands were despicable. They, they were, I, I, it kind of just looked like maybe it was dead coral and was once a reef. And they're just kind of flat okay. in the middle of the ocean. So they crashed into right. that. They went there. Okay. This uh, is the way off the coast of Australia. Sorry. West coast of Australia and yep. okay. they were on these islands and they were just flat and it's, it's constant wind because it's, it's caught the, the yeah. same winds that push them onto it. So it's just harrowing wind all the time, really cold, 
no water, no food. They go there. Uh, one guy that was just a complete sociopath, psychopath, took charge. I can't remember how. I think he ended up actually killing the captain that was in command. And he just set himself up with a bunch of goons as the king of the island, I suppose. He sent the soldiers that were on and he said, hey, how about you go to a reconnaissance mission over on this island? We'll take you over on a boat. It was too far to swim, but they could go by boat. And they had no intention of um, taking them back. And so they just stayed on the island. But that island had wallabies on it. It had some root vegetables and it had water. So they were fine. They were just hoping that they'd die and that they'd just have all the supplies on the ship. And because they just realized after a while, fuck, no one's coming. Uh, we could live like, we could probably have enough supplies for everyone here, but probably not. So they just started killing people over time. They come up with trumped up charges, go into their tent, slit their throat. And by the end of it, there was hundreds of people there and they just kept picking them off one at a time. And then one oh, of the, like, one guy actually did grim. swim. It was fucking grim. I think one guy stole a boat or something, went over to the soldiers and told them what was happening. And they thought, fuck. So they started building a fort. They couldn't go over and, and save them. They were outnumbered and they had all the guns and everything. But they built a fort and, you know... After a while, it kind of caught wind that they were going to get rescued. But the whole time, people just kept getting picked off. Like the women started just being their concubines and stuff in their own little tents while they were just going around, like just randomly in, in front of everyone would just slit someone's throat and just be like, who wants to be next? It was, it was fucking scary. And anyway. And so um, this, is the, this is the Dutch. The Dutch. And... Yeah. Uh, yeah, then they tried to take that uh, island that they had fortified and they couldn't get a grasp on there. And so they uh, and they had created like a makeshift boat, I think, or something like that as well. Or maybe they had one boat, can't remember. But they just kept getting rid of them until finally the guy thought, no, we're actually going to have to storm this boat. Otherwise... Uh, when the rescue ship comes, we're all screwed because of how brutal we had been for no reason other than we wanted extra rations, I suppose. And so they tried to take that island and they did it three or four times to no avail. And then the last time they got really serious about it and threw everything they had at it. And they were about to storm the island. And at that exact moment, they saw on the horizon the rescue ship from the Dutch... And so they both just swam out to it or, or rode out, I can't remember, and came at the same time. And luckily, it was the guys that were on the fort that got to the ship first so they could tell their side of the story first. And then they went to that island. They made some makeshift gallows. And then they hung all the cunts that were just picking people off one at a time, rescued the survivors, of which there was you know, very few at, the, at that time, took them back. And uh, uh, that was the first European structure in Australia, gallows. Isn't that a wow. brutal start? Never heard it's of It's a that. harrowing tale. And I can't even remember how to get people to go look at it because I can't even remember what the tale was. But you really should look into the detail of it. It's, it, 
the 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 picture of what I showed is just you know a twentieth of how grim it really was. It was so, so like how, a, a chilling tale. That rescue ship. Uh, uh, what was it? Are we talking years? No, I think months. I think maybe six months or something. I think it was just like the ship didn't come back. You know what it even was? It was kind of alien as well, I think. You know how in Alien they go onto that uh, planet or whatever it is and then they extract that alien thing because the company realizes that they can turn it into a bioweapon and they realize that the crew is expendable and they don't give a fuck about the crew. The only reason that that rescue ship was coming back is because there was so much value on the ship that they wanted to come and reclaim it. But if that just sunk with the people in it, they wouldn't have given a fuck. Because the Dutch East Crazy. India Trade Company Crazy. was the original Tyrell Corporation. It was the first major company that really controlled. Oh, yeah, of I'm course. Well, I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well aware of the brutality of the East <laughs> India Company. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah, brutal. but um, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, when you just would it would have been months. You, you couldn't even hear from your family. Or if. if the ship sunk, or um, if yeah, I, I, there's there's apparently there was a there was a large Spanish armada that uh was making a journey from from n North America back to Spain, and it sunk, and it had, you know somewhere in the vicinity of billions of dollars worth of gold. Wow. And it's still somewhere in the, um, look, a lot of this information, I just get off random YouTube videos. So I, I cannot, uh, attest to the validity of that. Uh, but there's a big fortune apparently somewhere in a shipwreck off, um, uh, in the Atlantic ocean somewhere. Well, makes it's actually, sense. yeah, well, thing is that because everything was transported by ships there's heaps still to this day there's so many i met a guy when i was in the u.s in this uh caribbean island he was my neighbor for for about a week and i got to know him well because he was just such an alpha he had that joe biden look about him of just an old guy that had passed his prime but you could tell back in the day he was a king amongst men, you know, he still mm. had a lot of testosterone in him when he was in his eighties. And mm -hmm. I talked to him and isn't this incredible? He, the reason that he was in the Caribbean to this day, he just decided to retire there, but he spent most of his working life there and he was a treasure hunter. That's what he made his fortune out of was finding oh, sunken barges sick. from the Spanish and the English and then telling the local government and saying, hey, we'll go halves if you give me an excavation crew. And he would do that. He would dive Ooh. down into there and take up all of these doubloons and gold. And that was his life. And how perfect is this is his name? An old alpha that was a treasure hunter. His name was Skip. Isn't that perfect? Yeah. That man was destined that's a, for that's that a, job. That's a man who's uh, been on a lot of uh, sea voyages and seen some things. Yeah. Haven't you, Skip? Um, <laughs> wow. I wonder if in 100 to 200 to 300 years, similar sort of conditions will play out, but in space, 
where uh, we won't have the technology to properly map out our solar system or hell, even our, uh, you know, local group of stars. Um, and they'll just be, they'll be space pirates and they'll be just colonies on various planets and moons and people will be sort of colonizing different different moons and we won't have a proper map of where everyone is and completely new cultures and even it could even be species emerge because we'll have genetic um, engineering technology could be the world in uh well not that long it's a horrifying thought like pirates are scary enough but the thought of space pirates because it would be in that movie where they're kind of just driving around on a lunar module and they just have a bazooka while they've got cheap shitty space shoots just shooting it trying to wreck like another lunar module that's coming there and then getting the scrap to try and sell it'd be that kind of a world it would be a lot more primitive than what you think it is but it, the stakes yeah. be so much higher and in the vast expanse of space if there was a uh, similarly to some of these armadas, if it was a larger, uh, well, it wouldn't be a ship, spaceship that had millions or billions of dollars of wealth on it. Maybe they've mined an asteroid and it's uh, left unmanned or it's uh, somehow just uh, stopped functioning. It would just, It would just be there in the vast nothingness of space someone could find it, they'd be become a millionaire. Or, I mean, a, a multi-trillionaire even by that time. Yeah. And the, the, as I've, if you listen to that space exploration podcast, we, do, we just do, you cannot even comprehend how vast the expanse of empty space is. All those models of the solar system are just, they're not even close. Where you have mm, the sun mm. that's about the size of a, a soccer ball and an earth the size of a tennis ball. It's nothing like that. It's the sun is a soccer ball in the middle of a, in the middle of a football field. And, you know, on the t 10 to 20 meters after that, the earth is, it's something like a pea. Yeah. This is how large we're talking. And then the, the um, projected ninth planet, which they haven't found yet, by the way. So now they're not sure if it even exists somewhere like a, it's kilometers away, but the closest star to that um, soccer ball in the middle of a, a fucking football field is in is is like halfway across when they were doing this um to scale model in america it's like in a different state somewhere i mean it's, it's obscene the distances of space we just cannot comprehend it but yeah um, I think yeah so finding it would be point. so much more resource intensive yeah yeah but it would be well it could be it could be um and it wouldn't it would just stay there, Neil. It'd get had. sucked into like the atmosphere of, say, Jupiter or something, and then it just—that's well, the end of it. If there was a large body near it, that the gravitational pull of that body would pull it in. But that's a big if. And we're talking about the cosmic. We're talking about cosmic distances here, but I mean, it's, it's, and then it, it could take years for it to actually be pulled in by the uh, gravity of anything. And sometimes the gravity can pull it in, but then it just actually, or, you know, it sort of does a elliptical orbit and doesn't actually get fully sucked in. Yeah, space is, is just really is the final frontier. It's fascinating. Um, but 
let's wrap that one up there. That was a enjoyable discussion. Um, obviously, uh, our breadth of knowledge on how we could personally contend with the threat of climate tra- changes is limited. So uh, by all means, let us know in the comments what you may be planning to do or what you think a good strategy would be. And thank you for listening, guys. Get that CBD all. Use the code Neil, crushorganics.com. And send in a question, Neil, uh, colhacker.com slash podcasts. See you next time. All right. See you guys.